In this episode of the Transforming Society podcast, we're speaking to Dr. Leisha Teixeira, founder and CEO for the Centre of Homelessness Impact. She's the co-editor, along with James Cartwright, of a new book, Using Evidence to End Homelessness, published by Policy Press, and available open access to download for free. Hi, Leisha. Hi. Hello, thanks for speaking to us today. Thank you for having me. That's a pleasure. Um, please, could you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to set up the Centre for Homelessness Impact? Yes, of course. So I uh, I originally uh, came uh, to the UK uh, as a young academic and, um, and I suppose working in the centre of London, uh, you couldn't stop, you know, uh, seeing uh, street homeless people. Uh, on the way to work and um, after a few months I mustered enough confidence to start talking to some of the people sleeping rough in Lincoln's in fields uh, behind the LSE and uh, that's essentially how my journey into homelessness uh, began uh, even though I was um, you know my background is, is a political theorist um, it really got my attention and I started looking into this topic started volunteering at the charity crisis and after a few years, I made the transition to, to the third sector. And uh, over time, I, I led and grew the, the evidence program uh, at Crisis. And um, when it, it came to a point that Crisis was celebrating its 50th anniversary, we started thinking about what was missing um, when it comes to efforts to tackle homelessness. And we've landed on this idea that, you know, perhaps creating uh, a dedicated centre to ensure that uh, any policy decisions were based on rigorous evidence could provide a way forward. Because, you know, in the last um, 50 years, um, even though lots of progress has been done, far too many people uh, remain homeless in the UK. Um, so that's how the idea of the centre came about. And I, I then uh, left uh, my old job at Crisis to essentially set it up. And it's now uh, a fully fledged Woodwork Centre alongside Woodwork Centres in other social policy areas. And the role of these organisations is very much to ensure that policymakers have the evidence they need uh, that is rigorous and can lead to uh, better decision making. Um, so, as you say, the Centre for Homelessness Impact is a What Works Centre, and that focuses on What Works methodology. Could you explain that in a little bit more detail, and specifically, what is a What Works movement in homelessness? So, the, the What Works movement, uh, at its heart, um, uh, is, is an attitude of, of, of humility <laughs> and a growth mindset. Okay. So, advocates for empirical methods because you know say in medicine uh, we now take for granted that the treatments we receive are you know um, informed by the best evidence available um, but that hasn't always been the case uh, you don't have to go um, far back in time very long um, and you know there was a strong resistance in medicine to to using things like RCTs to really test the most effective ways of doing things and the best medications. So um, over time, um, uh, that, that movement, that movement started spreading to, to other fields, and it's very much about uh, you know doubting what you know, doing the best with the evidence we you have, but always being prepared to to, uh, to doubt um, what you think you know and putting it through uh, rigorous scrutiny. So that's you know what's very much at the heart of the what works movement. 
So that's, um, I think in the book you say it's knowing the limits of our knowledge and our weaknesses and working with those as well, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, And how, in what ways will this approach, do you think, work better than other approaches to homelessness we've seen? I should imagine, I think, other approaches is quite short-term thinking in lots of ways, isn't it? Well, I suppose it's not a, you know, it's not an alternative approach as such. It's about building on the great work we've done so far, because certainly the UK, there's a lot better than many other countries. You know, we have a much greater focus on universal prevention. So our homelessness levels, relatively speaking, in comparison to countries like the US, for instance, we're actually doing very well. Okay. so uh, what we argue is that in order to take our work to the next level, um, we need to, to uh, um, you know, embrace um, those uh, much more rigorous methods that are now the, the, the new normal in, in, in things like medicine and, um, and education and international development. So we're not saying that everything that's been that's come before um, uh, didn't work. But okay. you know, we're building on on the great work done to date and saying, well, one gap is really rigorous evaluation, rigorous systems thinking, and also um, creativity um, in order to ensure that we're asking the right questions and focusing our, our energy in, in new ways. Because there's there's been a lack of uh, focus on the person. Um, and that's okay. not unique to homelessness, that many of the systems we've developed uh, in, in the 10th or 20th century, um, you know, they developed around the needs of managers rather than uh, around the needs of, of, of the people affected. So our purpose is to help redesign the homelessness system around the needs of, of the person. And so does that mean involving the person in the research um, exactly. So in the same way that, you know, in evidence-based uh, medicine, um, it's not just about uh, the results from trials. It's about ensuring that you're hearing uh, um, the voice of the patient as well as the voices of the nurses and the doctors. Um, uh, what works approaching homelessness is very much about bringing those voices, all of them, not just those of professionals to the fore, and yeah. then rigorous methods to test what works. Yeah. Could you say something a little bit more about homelessness in the UK broadly? I think quite often what we see, like obviously the stereotype of homeless people is um, people sleeping on the streets and things like that. But I'm guessing that when you talk about homelessness, you mean it much more broadly than that. And especially in terms of COVID, there was an, there was an article in Inside Housing recently saying that 500,000 households are on the brink of homelessness because of the pandemic. So it's not just about people on the streets, is it? It's about vulnerable people in precarious housing as well. I think that's important to remember. Uh, exactly. Um, rough sleeping is just the tip of the iceberg. And yet in the public public's imagination, uh, you know, that's what homelessness looks like. Yeah. In, in fact, it's, it's a lot broader. And the vast majority of people affected by homelessness have very low support needs. Um, their main uh, issue is, 
is lack of resources, um, which then can have a knock-on effect on, say, uh, the relationships they may have uh, in the household and lead to other problems. Right. So um, it's something that we often are not aware of and think about. So in the UK, even in terms of our legal framework, um, you can have, um, you know, most homeless people are not street homeless. They are in temporary accommodation. Um, and they've been uh, helped in other ways, but they're not visible. So um, people often just think about homelessness as street homelessness, but that the opposite is the case. They are the tip of the iceberg rather than the, you know, the most common type of homelessness. And I suppose that's one of the things that makes homelessness such a complicated problem to solve. Why do you think that um, even before the pandemic, well, obviously before the pandemic, why has there always been a lack of urgency to solve homelessness? Um, that's a very good question. I think um, every once in a while, you know, there, there, there is urgency and you have not just the government, but um, campaigning charities like Crisis and Shelter really, um, you know, trying to drive efforts to end homelessness. But for, you know, somehow they, they, they lose uh, momentum uh, over time. And uh, yeah. what we've is that part of the reason why is that you, we've lacked the mechanisms to help continue to to drive the change that's required because you know we're not always investing in the right types of methods and uh, the right types of, types of evidence and that then leads to us losing momentum and I'll give you an example so um, the the evidence we've generated so far. Um, is actually very good. In the UK, we have a very, very deep and rich understanding of the root causes of homelessness. So things like, you know, poverty, unemployment, so all the systems, uh, housing, obviously. Um, what we don't have is the type of, of evidence that can help you shift the system um, and understand the solutions better and, and drive innovation. So, uh, so it's really hard to maintain momentum when it comes to those efforts unless those things are in place. So this is what we're trying to address now. The That's creation where of the what works comes in, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because what we know is that, in the, in the, you know, an example from COVID is, a, is a, an analogy um, might be helpful here. You know, when it comes to hand washing, we've known for many years that hand washing is important, that, you know, many people uh, die, say, in developing countries. Children can die um, if, um, if, if hand washing is, is not done routinely. Uh, and yet to persuade people to wash their hands, even in a medical context, is incredibly difficult. Yeah. So, so just understanding is not enough to then help people wash their hands. So what we know now is that you need different types of methods and evidence to ensure that then you use the evidence to produce evidence-based communications. You may use behavioral science to start placing hand-washing devices across, say, a hospital, okay. and you're constantly trying to iterate and understand what nudges people to wash their hands. So in homelessness, that's what's been missing. We, we've All our efforts and, and research has been focused at the end of understanding the problem for all sorts of reasons, but we lack, you know, the embedding of evidence uh, throughout the system and innovation. So that's the what the What Works movement can bring um, to this. That's a brilliant example. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, moving on to the book now. The book is called Using Evidence to End Homelessness. Um, it's importantly and brilliantly available open access. Um, I'll give a website link at the end where people can get information on how to download it. 
In the book, you've brought together insights and experiences from key people across academia, organisations, charities. Why is having this range of voices important and how did you go about bringing them together? Well, one of the things we know um, from other fields is that it's incredibly important um, to uh, that when, when you're trying to do this type of work, it's about cultural change. Um, right. So even if suddenly there are lots of millions of pounds to just invest in rigorous uh, impact evaluation, it doesn't mean that people would, would use that evidence. So from the beginning, um, because we could learn from what worked and didn't work in other fields when it comes to knowledge translation, we knew that we needed to um, do as much as we could to bring um, everyone with us. So that's why uh, we knew um, as we were launching the centre that we wanted to do the book and we wanted to do a book with multiple uh, uh, and diverse voices as a way of really galvanizing uh, people um, to consider what's what's been missing so it's not we could have we could have gone away and, and you know just produced reports for the next five years yeah and, um, and that would not start to achieve, uh, achieve the, the cultural change that's required that needs to go hand in hand with the generation and synthesis of new evidence because that's what what uh, what works movement is about to go back to your original question it's about generating rigorous evidence synthesizing it and then build a capacity in the system to use it so the book for us is very much part of the wider mobilization that um, sometimes we've been less strong uh, at that than than uh, in, say in, in other countries uh, so we've placed a lot of emphasis in that um, and in particular because you know we know now that uh, the homelessness sector itself cannot end homelessness you need you know you need the government you need different parts of society and you need actors beyond the homelessness sector yeah. because you know there are all sorts of fields like education early years um, health that have an impact on homelessness and um, so this is an effort to also bring bring all of that together as a way of driving prevention upstream in the book, you present a six-point impact manifesto to end homelessness, including ideas around innovation, creativity, like we've said, of being more experimental and improving the decision-making competence of institutions. Could you talk us through some of your key ideas here? Yeah, so, um, and if we could synthesize it even further, um, it would go, come down to three challenges that we need to address and, and the workforce movement uh, helps you with. The first one is around improving the data infrastructure. So at the moment, um, we have very, very poor data on uh, who's affected by homelessness. Okay. Um, so uh, we just can't answer that question accurately. And we've almost come to accept that needs to be the case because the population is so transient. Um, but the reality is, um, techno with technology developments, um, that needn't be the case. So what can we do to really drive improvements in the data infrastructure? Because, you know, if, if companies like Amazon um, are incredibly successful, it's precisely because they know their customer really well. Yeah. In we do not know um, the people who are trying to help well enough, which is okay. why then in the media, in, in, in our communications, we end up portraying uh, people affected um, in a particular way. That's not necessarily accurate. So, so uh, a, a big thing that needs to change is precisely that data infrastructure so we can help people better in real time as well. So, for instance, COVID is a really good example. Um, we've been delighted with the new appreciation for data that's come about. 
but reality is uh, it's also um, highlighted the weaknesses in the data we capture. So, okay. so that's one of the things that uh, we can change. And we've started working with the UNS and the different governments across the UK um, to, to drive those changes. And there's some also some efforts at the international level to make that happen. The second uh, pillar, um, uh, if you like, of the manifesto is around improving the understanding of what works. So that requires investing in the types of studies, empirical studies, um, that things like, you know, randomized controlled trials, quasi-experimental studies that really help us understand impact in a much more um, rigorous uh, manner. Because unless uh, we do that, uh, policymakers and practitioners simply don't have the evidence they need to make better decisions. So yeah. we are in the business of helping people make better decisions and and the evidence, the quality of the evidence needs to improve. So the evidence tools we produced um, um, uh, when we launched the centre really show that we, in the UK, we only have uh, 12 studies that really qualified that, you know, um, um, for um, for uh, the, the type of standard we're talking about. So it's really uh, important, even though things have already improved in the last few years, that those studies become uh, a lot more normal than they currently uh, than they currently are. Yeah. So in education, in international development, we have lots of really uh, interesting examples of things that we simply wouldn't know about unless um, they'd started um, in that journey. Um, so the Education Endowment Foundation, for instance, uh, who are our equivalent in, in the field of education, they they've done a series of trials that really f- through you know challenged assumptions. Um, so for instance, they did a series of trials that really showed that teaching assistants, you know, having teachers teaching assistants in classrooms uh, was less effective than people previously thought. Okay. Um, and also. The fact that, you know, breakfast, uh, providing kids with breakfast is much more effective than any other meal throughout the day, even though yeah. the government has a lot more money um, in, the, in, those other, um, in those other meals. So, so there's things that we cannot learn about unless uh, that's what happens. And the, and the third pillar is around um, uh, mobilization and capacity building. So we, we know from other fields that, you know, like health, that even today, between the point when you have rigorous evaluation and the point when people start acting on that knowledge, it takes about 17, 17 years. So what really? we're trying to do, yeah, this is from the Lancet. What wow. we're trying to do is ensure that because we now, um, know what didn't work <laughs> in other fields, that we can essentially, you know, uh, compress <laughs> um, that timeline, and um, and that requires trust. That's all about, you know, we don't talk about this enough in knowledge, knowledge translation. The need of building relationships of trust with with the practitioners uh, and the policymakers that you are working with. This is about reframing even the role of the researcher. Often, you know, researchers have played the role of the observer and the judge, and, and that can create, uh, I suppose, a barrier between the two. Yeah. And now learning that um, a closer relationship between the two might uh, be needed um, because that provides the researcher with a much deeper understanding 
of of uh, the situation on the ground, um, while it also enables you know practitioners to know that they're not being judged, that whatever the results, uh, you know, that you're in this together, and that makes a big difference. And that leads leads us to the you know the other thing that. Um, is key to the to this approach. Um, it's the it's that if you if you do these three things, and in particular if you work alongside with people, um, then it, it really helps you um, work with them to help them ask the right questions yeah. and to then help them um, be more creative and innovative. Uh, because when you're under a lot of pressure as people currently are, to respond to an emerging crisis, it's really hard to have a, a space for reflection. So one of the things that collectively we need to do and support each other to do is, is to, to uh, create safe place for reflection when people don't feel they're being judged. Yeah. Um, and, and if you do this alongside introducing transparency methods that ensure that you are being accountable, and the mm -hmm. only thing that matters, is that the people affected are benefiting. Yeah. Well, you have the same thinking, goal then, yes. don't you? Yeah. Yes, exactly. But, but one thing that is clear is that good intentions are simply not enough. So for us, it's about, uh, you know, we want to retain that passion in the field. There's so much passion, so many people trying to do, uh, you know, the best they can. And, and that really is fantastic. And we don't want to lose any of that. What we want to introduce is this uh, a notion that we also need to put ourselves under scrutiny because ultimately, um, just because, you know, you mean well, history shows that it doesn't mean that the uh, the people affected are benefiting. Mm -hmm. So we need, you know, that scrutiny at the same time, yeah. but not in a way uh, as a way of judging people, just as a way of, of collectively improving and yes. learning. Yeah. yeah, that's so important. That's important across all areas of our lives, isn't it, really, as well? Exactly. Um, yeah. So in your introduction to the book, you say that progress is within reach. Do you believe that there will be an end to homelessness and over what kind of time scale? Mm, that's a very good question. Um, and the, I, I definitely think it's within reach. Um, is it easy? No, definitely not. No. But if you look across the UK, it's such a, a diverse picture. And uh, the place where we're closer to ending homelessness uh, and all types of homelessness is Scotland. Um, really? And, um, yes. Um, and you just saw even today um, how they've already housed permanently half of uh, the street homeless people who um, were moved, you know, into hotels during the, the crisis. So that's so, permanently housed, not just short yes, term. Not, oh, that's not brilliant. Hotels. Exactly. Wow. Um, and what did it take? Um, it takes a mix um, of, you know, a strong safety net, um, uh, legislation that really protects people from homelessness, it takes uh, collective leadership, though, as well, and it takes a willingness to act on on the best knowledge we we have, knowing it's not a silver bullet. And um, I would say that the biggest thing we haven't done yet, uh, and this is where we need to focus our efforts, is um, prevention. And even though in theory 
everyone agrees that prevention is a good thing. And certainly in the UK, our prevention um, mechanism framework is much stronger than uh, in, in other developed countries. There's still some work to, to do. Um, and it, it, in, when it comes to a complex problem like homelessness, uh, it's very much about stopping the flow as well as knowing and finding better ways of, of dealing with a chronic end. Um, so, and that's what we haven't done yet, because if you take London, for instance, even before the pandemic, the, the number of new uh, people seen in the streets had been rising. And unless we stop the flow, it's like the metaphor from mental health the, of the overflowing sink. Yeah. Um, in homelessness, uh, in over the last few years, we've started being able to develop better and better ways of of mopping the water from the floor. So housing first, a housing so led solution like housing first is a really good example. Yeah. But we haven't done is stop the flow, and unless you're able to do both. Um, you're never going to end homelessness. So that's one of the things that, you know, the people, the writers in the book and, and at the center, we talk a lot about. And there's a really good cautionary tale, uh, from the US, uh, Salt Lake City, where over, you know, in the, in the early 2000s, they started investing heavily in housing first, which is an intervention that essentially gives no strings attached to accommodation to people who are chronic homelessness. So people who've been on the streets for over a year and have issues with uh, drugs and alcohol. And uh, what they did was amazing. They reduced chronic homelessness by over 90 percent. So this grabbed headlines across the world. Mm. Uh, but what the headlines hid was a much more, uh, you know, complex truth. Uh, the fact that, you know, in Salt Lake City and Utah more generally, they, you know, most people who were homeless, you know, those other types of homelessness were still increasing over that same time period. Right. So, so this is a really good illustration that when you're trying to tackle homelessness, unless you take a systems approach um, in combination <laughs> With a what works approach that, you know, it's all uh, about not just generating evidence, synthesizing it, acting on it, but also asking the right questions and being humble. <laughs> yeah. um, you are not going to take that work, the fantastic work we've been doing to, to the next level. It takes that, you know, the zooming in and out is 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 really important so the situation in london is not dissimilar to what i just described so say if suddenly there was a a massive on the back of the the uh you know the government the, the approach in england mm -hmm. because you know how the homelessness is the, is the default function so yeah. the approach in england is, is slightly different from places like scotland and wales and northern ireland in england the focus has been just rough, rough sleeping yeah uh, london il illustrates is that if we just focus on rehousing street homeless people and the inflow, which even pre-COVID was already rising the, of, of people with no history of rough sleeping, yeah. we're not going to make inroads and we'll just keep um, um, doing the same thing again and again and again. And presumably, unless that safety net is there, in time, these people are likely to end up back homeless again aren't they and i should imagine that people end up in a bit of a cycle if we don't have that structure in place to enable them not to do that yes exactly and and what we know even from the situation just now even though we don't have accurate figures we do know 
um, that the overwhelming majority of people who um, are, um, you know, uh, homeless just now, they have low support needs. Um, yeah. But they will end up uh, at the chronic end if over time they're they're not helped effectively. Yeah. So when people are new to homelessness, they are a lot cheaper to help <laughs> right. uh, yeah. than when you know, 15 years down the line, yeah. um, they've been through so many episodes and, and, and you know, uh, it's like it's the, the, the that um, the time uh, element is often not considered. Okay. This is something that happens over time. If people don't wake up one morning and are chronic homeless. You know, it's something that happens over a period of many years as yeah. people progressively, things happen to them. And progressively, they lose the resources available around them, the networks. Um, uh, so, so it's really important that all the the new people <laughs> becoming homeless get the help at the point when they're actually, you know, not just easier to help, but we want to ensure that you know they don't go down that particular that particular path. So it's impo- especially important at the moment uh, because you know we have. Even though councils are already under a huge amount of financial pressure, what we've also seen um, that's really incredible is that lots and lots of leaders in local areas are wanting to use this as an opportunity to end homelessness um, more sustainably. Right. And they are talking about things like ensuring that they move people into permanent accommodation um, as quickly as possible rather like in than Scotland. Yes, yeah. exactly. Rather than relying on hostels and shelters. Um, so um, there's the willingness is there. The appetite is there. What often is not considered is the types of investment that's required to make that happen. Yeah. Because, you know, we jump to just invest in, in services, but we don't put the, the evaluations in place that can help that happen. So Caroline, um, you know, in the book talks about this a lot. Um, and, you know, and Stephen gives examples of, of the great work, including the Troubled Families Programme, that mm-hmm. combined shifting uh, systems at the same time as evaluating what, what was happening. So that's something that, or, you know, many of the authors of, in the book talk about. Um, so that actually leads quite well into my final question, which is... Um... What would be your key recommendations for policy on homelessness, both to address the current crisis and going forward? So I guess it's what shape, what should that investment and help and system change take? Yeah, so, you know, some of the things that we already talked about, you know, the first thing that's really important is to use the knowledge we already have to put the the legal protections in place uh, that we know are, are required. So you need um, ins- to ensure that people can afford housing. You need to ensure that the welfare system uh, works for all. You also need to ensure that you know we're building enough social housing, that uh, we're being creative enough with um, um, the, the types of, of accommodation that we're trialing and, and testing for different types of, of, of client group. But uh, in terms of the evidence and data side of things, we need to invest in, in better data infrastructures. We need to invest 
in in uh, in ensuring that we're able to uh, get people to share the data that's required uh, at key points. We need to be able to invest a lot more than we currently do in evaluating the policies and programs that um, are designed to address homelessness. Only a fraction of policy and programs uh, at the moment actually have any type of evaluation linked to them. So that needs to change. Yeah. And um, and we haven't come across um, a lack of willingness in local areas to use data and evidence, just the opposite. There's a huge appetite to use better data and evidence to, to help end homelessness. And yet um, the reality is, uh, unless there's investment in the types of support that uh, those leaders need, it just won't happen. Yeah. So those are some of the building blocks of, of what needs um, to change. Uh, but we have no doubt, you know, um, about, and, and this is captured in the book, about the immense progress that has happened. It's not for nothing that in all parts of the UK, homelessness levels in relation to other countries in the global north um, are, are lower. Um, right. So want to do is continue to build on, on, on what we've achieved but certainly now in light of COVID even though the book was written before COVID the themes still stand of yeah. this is really one of the things we haven't done that have you know that really um, helped other fields was to embrace the opportunities presented by the better use of, of data and the production of more rigorous evidence um, this is you know something that we haven't done so I suppose it provides a way for the What Works movement uh, in homelessness provides that way forward because we've done so much fantastic work you know, in the last 50 years. Has it been enough? No. Um, and what we know is that good intentions are not enough. So what can we learn from other fields uh, like health, international development, education, that we can simply just put in place uh, in homelessness? So that's more important than ever now in light of the, the the impacts of COVID because they will last not just for the next few months, uh, they will last for for many many uh, years to come, and this is an opportunity as well to bring other parts of society on board. You know, uh, the public understandably is skeptical about our ability to end uh, homelessness yeah. because it's been part of the landscape uh, for for so long, um, but the reality is. Um, it's not a simple uh, problem to solve. And the reality is some of the systems we've created are not part of the problem. Um, so a more empirical approach is the only way to start understanding what is it that doesn't work and how do we stop it? Uh, because what works is also fundamentally about what doesn't work. And if only we could stop doing some of the things we've been doing, it would make a big difference. And I'll give you an example. Uh, analysis we've been doing show that, you know, um, most of the money that um, local authorities spend um, goes towards temporary accommodation. Yeah. Uh, the evidence suggests that temporary accommodation um, uh, is not uh, ideal. It's incredibly expensive. And, and because people put through it so quickly, it's very unstable uh, not to know when, uh, when you might need to move. Um, just a change, uh, you know, of about 5%, say, of, of how we use the money that goes into temporary accommodation could, could um, you know, and we started using, you know, moving, say, 5% of those individuals towards the private rented sector with right. levels of support. Yeah. We'd see a return of, of millions of pounds. 
So, so sometimes very small shifts in how money is spent yeah. can make a, a, a disproportionate impact. Um, and that's the type of thinking that we can start embracing. And for us, this is about creating new habits, yeah. which is why we wanted to, to, to write the book. The book will be used to launch a, a multi-year campaign. Uh, we've had to postpone it until the autumn because of circumstances. Um, but the idea all along has been to, to use the book to, to launch a campaign um, that will have ambassadors from uh, across, you know, um, the system and with, you know, five simple pledges um, around the things we've already discussed, you know, mm -hmm. a commitment to improving the data infrastructure, being open about the data they're collecting, investing, you know, um, uh, in the types of evaluations that can help us understand what works, talking about the homelessness in an evidence-informed way, because uh, um, what uh, what we know is that often the way we talk about homelessness is not um, helpful because it gives the impression that it's not a problem that can be solved. Yeah. And 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 then using you know the campaign uh, as as that for platform uh, for um, the cultural shift that needs to, to happen if if we are to make the best use of what we already know but also start, you know, embracing the types of methods that will really help us understand the nitty-gritty of, of what happens, um, you know, in, in practice and shift the, system, shift the focus on us um, uh, rather than on the people affected, because that's something that uh, maybe it's a little bit dissimilar from other fields, is that often the, in homelessness we put a lot of pressure on what homeless people should and shouldn't be doing mm. rather than evaluating the quality of, of the interventions that um, we've been using over the years. Yeah, that's really true, isn't it? Um, thank you so much, Ligia. That's really interesting and really, I think, just offers a bit of hope that we might make some progress in the future and um, and just to add as well that um, we wanted the book to be open source because obviously it being about homelessness we want to make sure that people affected by homelessness are able to read it yes exactly that any but that any uh, money that comes back to the center, um, we will be using it to obviously um, further the mission. So buy the book if you can, and if you can't, um, please read it. Um, but uh, yes, the money will be put to good use if, if, it's, if it generates any. Good, I'm sure it will. <laughs> Wonderful, thank you very much, thank you. The book, Using Evidence to End Homelessness, is open access and available to download for free and also to buy and print in other formats. You can find all the details on our website, which is policy.bristoluniversitypress.co.uk.